0: You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg Podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Today our guest is medical historian Sharon Cottner, who's here to talk to us about something that we think of as a modern plague, but it's actually one that stretches back for centuries, and that's cancer. Sharon has spent some time studying the... Um, understanding and the treatments and the causes of cancer in the 18th century, and she's here to share some of that history with us. Sharon, thank you for being here today. Hello. Well, I think the first thing we would want to talk about is what is cancer? How do we understand cancer?
1: In the 18th century, cancer is identified as a tumor, and the tumor would be small um, originally, but growing hard, painful, immovable. Um, it would turn black or leaden in color. There would be um, swelled or crooked vessels, or vesicles as they called them, um, growing from and out, around the cancer. And that's actually where the tumor gets its name because these all of these extra vessels growing off of the cancer reminded the ancients of the um, crab, all of the little appendages coming off of a crab. And cancer is the ancient Latin term for
0: crab. And so in the 18th century, we also need to think about um, causes of cancer. And they think about it as causes, and also you've said influences, sort of two subsets. Right.
1: Because in their mind, cause is not something that they really understand the way we do today. They're thinking about it as the fluids in the body vitiating or thickening up and causing a tumor, not from cells or cell division. And then this tumor could stay dormant for a long period, but if something triggered or influenced the tumor, it would start to grow, and in that growing process, it would become a cancer, and the the influences could be um, a, a blow or contusion. It could be for women in breast cancer, um, what they called milk breast, and we called we call mastitis. Um, It could be um, something about your lifestyle, like eating lard and pork meats were thought to influence cancer, or um, a lot of stress and fear and anxiety, Um, external applications, something that they would call an acrimony or acrimonious, um, being an, an external influence. But they also thought of cancer as something that could come internally. Uh, Women who did not uh, have children um, or, you know, they never, um, what they call bred or breed, um, especially women who were like nuns, were thought to um, get breast cancer more often than women who bore children or were pregnant at some point.
0: Two things you said have kind of made my ears prick up. The first is you mentioned fluids in the body. This makes me think of the theory of the four humors what 's happening in um, medical theory right now in the 18th century they 're experiencing sort of a sort of a turning uh, in the prevailing medical
1: theory absolutely. We are no longer looking at the old Galenic theory of medicine based on four humors. Now we're looking at the body as being composed of multiple humors or fluids in the body and their relationship to the solid parts or fibers of the body. And the influence of these two substances on each other, the quality of these substances, the movement of the fluids within the solid parts of the body. All of these things are influenced by the physical properties of these substances. And that influence came out of the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, which at this point in time, physics as a science was really the only well-developed science. And that's where a lot of this is coming from, the science of physics, not the science of chemistry or biology.
0: And I've read this change as sort of understanding the body um, almost as a machine, understanding the physical workings.
1: Absolutely, and the system was referred to as iatromechanism, or like a machine.
0: The other thing you talked about uh, when you touched on the influence of cancer, it sounds very familiar to today, lifestyle choices, diet, um, reproductive cancers, Uh, some of these things really haven't changed much. We might think of them a little bit differently, but they're noticing some of the same things that that we're noticing now. Oh, absolutely.
1: Through observation of centuries, really, they knew a lot more about what was happening in the body in relation to cancer and influences of cancer uh, without having to study this in a laboratory and do some kind of
0: test. So when we talk about the cancers that you're seeing, you've described them as, as sort of tumors, which is interesting because it seems like they're probably leaving a lot of other cancers behind if, if cancer is only tumors where they, they're overlooking some things that we can see now. Oh,
1: absolutely. In order to identify a cancer, it has to be sensed, touch, smell, sight, Taste—you know—you have to use your senses, and that's true of diagnosing any medical condition of this time period. Uh, there were what are referred to as occult or hidden cancers um, that could—you could feel the tumor, but you couldn't feel anything else. The only way to identify a cancer truly as it being cancer versus a, a, a non-malignant tumor would be when it ulcerated. And when it ulcerates, it would change color, and Icarus stenchy material would um, kind of come forth from the cancer, and it would eat away at the flesh surrounding it, and it would grow and spread, and eventually, of course, kill you.
0: My goodness, it just seems like by the time you notice one of these cancers, it's, it's probably too late.
1: Well, that was often a problem for medical doctors at this time period. They talk about women waiting, for example, with breast cancer until it was too late. And the doctor then, by the time he saw the patient, could no longer treat them.
0: Let's talk about treatment. There's a few. Uh, classifications of treatments, sort of your home remedies and your uh, formal medical remedies?
1: Well, home treatments are kind of interesting because people were often trying those first, hoping that it wasn't cancer. So they're applying a lot of topicals to try and break down the tumor and make the tumor go away. Uh, Common plant materials like Herb Robert and common nightshade. A lot of bathing with cold water. Um, materials like um, dock root and scraped uh, parsnips and carrot poultices. Um, There was a doctor who was writing a home medicine book who recommended using bread and milk which was a common poultice for all kinds of wounds and contusions of the time.
0: So those are your home remedies. What other types of practitioners do we have out there who, who are claiming to treat cancer? Well, your professional
1: treatments in cancer included both surgical and non-surgical methods. Trying to treat it non-surgically would have been almost impossible at this time, and most doctors recognize that. But they still tried to do so. They, they were trying poisonous materials to treat the cancer, like mercury. They were trying external applications, like arsenic. In the mid-1760s, there was a doctor over in in Europe who comes up with the use of hemlock. And that was to apply both topically and to take it internally in a pill form. He would start out with slow amounts of the material and increase it to try and work it up in the body and kill the cancer. Unfortunately, um, most of these treatments have absolutely no effect whatsoever. Some doctors were just trying to do things to build up the system and make it more bearable. Um, There was a a gentleman named um, Dr. Justamond who is going to um, try using various iron treatments to um, help the condition. And what they basically discover is that it basically just boosted up the system. Um, But in the end, probably the only successful way of dealing with the cancer was going to be surgical removal. And surgical removal could have meant trying to extract the entire tumor or the entire body part. Breast cancer would have been one of the most commonly identified and written about cancers of the day. So the majority of texts writing about how to deal with it talk about how to deal with breast cancer. And in many of those cases, they, they refer to removing the whole breast. But they also talk about not being able to, if you cannot remove the whole breast, um, then you can try and just cut out the tumor itself and preserve as much of the breast or the skin around the breast as possible. The problem with cancer is that it can spread. And we refer to the idea of metastasis. John Burroughs in 1767 is writing an essay on cancer and he actually uses the term metastasis that if you cannot remove the matter root, branch, and seed, that it will strike inwards and possibly return on the same body part or move to another body part.
0: It's, it's, it's interesting now uh, to hear you say these things because it's so similar to the struggles that we face today and the, uh, so many things remain the same uh, with, with treatment. Uh, and and just facing these cancers.
1: Oh, absolutely. With treatment today, we're still using poisons. The use of things like mercury, arsenic, hemlock in the 18th century, they were the wrong poisons, but they were still using poisons. An interesting point about using poisons, there's some references to Native Americans using a plant called pokeweed to treat cancer. And in modern times, we generally talk about pokeweed as a poison. But there is study of a chemical found in pokeweed that appears on animals to have anti-tumor and anti-cancer properties. And so it's being looked at as a possibility for treating humans. I think what's important to recognize about cancer is much like today, you have to catch it early for treatment to be successful. The doctors in the 18th century were really um, trying to get people to recognize that. Come to us, let us examine it, let us figure out what needs to be done as quickly as possible. Because if you wait too long, we're not going to be able to take care of it. Well, that's pretty much true today. And when it gets to that stage where you can no longer care for it, then the only thing you can do is trying to make your life bearable until you die. They do have opium for the relief of pain, but that can only do so much.
0: Whenever I talk to one of the medical historians from the apothecary or one of your colleagues uh, in the field, I always like to uh, leave on the note where we touch on the idea that this is not these historic practices are not as crude and as uninformed as your mind might immediately jump to. I think we need to understand these people as scientists uh, and, and as scholars, uh, much as you know, the, the medicine that we practice today, 200 years from now, uh, might seem like the dark ages, but we feel like we're at the, at the cutting edge, and indeed we are, uh, of enlightenment. How do we think about 18th century medicine and really respect the science that's being done at the time?
1: Well, we are definitely viewing ourselves as new and improved. There are texts that compare the 18th century and medical practices to the Middle Ages. So definitely we're past the Middle Ages. We are trying to use science. This is the Age of Enlightenment. Unfortunately, it's The problem is the state of science itself. Yes, physics is a well-developed science by this point in time. But chemistry is still in its infancy. That's what men like Boyle, Priestley, Lavoisier, that's what they're doing through the 18th century, is developing the science of chemistry. And it won't be until the 19th century that biology really gets developed as a science. So we're limited to what we can use. But we are trying to use science, and we are trying to use some of the scientific principles. There is experimentation going on in medicine, even if it's not in certain areas um, like cancer. There is experimentation of developing new medicines. Withering in England is going to start working with foxglove, which we know is digitalis for the heart and he experimented for approximately
0: nine years
1: before he introduces his medicine.
0: What a fascinating conversation we've had with you today. Thank you so much for being our guest, and I hope that when people come and visit Colonial Williamsburg, they'll drop in at the apothecary and talk to you and your colleagues about all the facets of 18th century medicine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're always glad to hear your feedback. Send us an email at podcast.history.org.